It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now, let me get to Art Howe, because it is really eerily similar. Torberg had two stops before coming to the Mets. He was the guy we all wanted based on success. Art Howe was very similar. Now, while Art didn't have amazing success in Houston, he was a pretty competent manager with the Astros. But really where he became famous was managing the Oakland A's. The two years prior to joining the New York Mets, he managed Oakland to 102 wins and 103 wins. He managed that team to the fifth and deciding game of the American League Divisional Series. Granted, they lost, but still, he managed a team three years in a row into the postseason, three years in a row over 90 wins, two years in a row over 100 wins. And when the Mets brought Art in in 2003, we could all say what we want now. On paper, it seemed like a no-brainer. So I guess I understand the parallels and concerns to Craig Council. (laughs) Hey, Art was successful. What the hell happened? And also, pretty similarly to what befell Jeff Torberg, the 2003 Mets had a lot of talent on their roster. Roberto Alomar was on that roster. A returning Roger Cedeno was on that roster. Mike Piazza was on that roster. Jeremy Burnitz was on that roster. Future Hall of Famer was recently added Tommy Glavin. So they went into opening day with a Glavin lighter one-two punch. They had big names in the bullpen. Johnny Franco was still there. Armando Benitez was still there. Veteran Yankee Mike Standing, Graham Lloyd were there. Like, there were high expectations for the 2003 Mets, despite the fact that in the previous year they lost 86 games. And despite the fact that some of those big names were there the previous year, specifically Alomar, Burnitz, and Cedeno. The big guy they added was Tommy Glavin. So there were higher expectations. Now, personally, I think 1992 had more expectations than 2003 if we're comparing them. And that's a slight part of why Jeff Torbor gets the edge. And the other thing which benefited Art is that he actually finished his second year. They actually allowed him. I think they told him basically with a month to go, we're firing you. Do you want to finish out the year? And Art showed a lot of class by doing it. Look, a part of Art Howe's problem here, and I told you that sometimes you think of the one bad move. You think of that one move that sticks out that you can't get past. With Art Howe, there was something that happened that it wasn't specifically a move. It was an innocent confession to the New York media. And that was when Art Howe revealed he did not know if Dontrell Willis was a lefty or a righty. Now, I was not in the room at the time. I was actually living down in Washington, D.C. at the time, watching the Mets on the MLB package. A flawed package at the time, by the way. And why it was flawed is they did not promise you every game. So every night when I got home, I would have to hope the Mets were on my MOB package. And I'd say about 75% of the time they were. But it was not every single game. There certainly weren't tablets for you to use. It was just on your TV. 
So I wasn't in the room when Art was asked this question and when Art made the confession. So I'm sure a writer could tell me, you know what, Evan? He was joking. He was just having fun. Whatever. The damage has been done, and it's been 20 years. And I ain't over it. Art Howe was so unprepared, he did not know. He did not know if Dontrell Willis was a lefty or a righty. So that's why I put him at number eight. So we've got Art Howe and Jeff Torborg, 9-8. So now I look at my list. I look at my remaining managers, and I see Dallas Green, Bobby Valentine, Willie Randolph, Jerry Manuel, Terry Collins, Mickey Calloway, and Luis Rojas. Where do I go? I'm going to go to Luis Rojas. Now, Luis Rojas at number seven could very well make us all look stupid. It is absolutely possible that the New York Mets will root. I don't want to say they'll rue the day we fired Luis Rojas, but is there a chance that Luis Rojas goes on and manages somewhere else and is wildly successful? Absolutely. It is on the table. That we will look back at Rojas's time with the Mets and say he learned on the job here and then he put it all together in Las Vegas with the A's or wherever he ends up. But Luis Rojas had two years here. Year one, we all gave him a pass. Because remember, Carlos Beltran was fired with not a lot of notice. And the Mets were almost forced to just promote Luis Rojas, a hire that I was good with. Because my thought at the time was, you know what? He's been in the organization. He's young. He knows what he's doing. I think he had manager league experience, not at the major league level, but at the minor league level. And I was all good for promoting him. Let's see what he's got. Maybe this is the long-term answer. He's got the right genes, being the son of one of the great managers of the 90s in Philippe Alou. So let's see what we got. And 2020 was a pandemic season. The Mets had absolutely no pitching. It was abysmal. And I don't necessarily blame him for 2020. So really it comes down to 2021. A 2021 Met team that I thought was pretty damn good. It wasn't bad. Lindor was struggling in his first year in New York. But... But you did have Pete Alonso going out there hitting 37 home runs and having a nice bounce-back season. And you had a team that was in first place for like 80% of the season. You had a team that was taking advantage of a mediocre National League East. A team that remained in first place all the way until August 5th. And then they absolutely collapsed and granted there were things that contributed to it specifically Jacob DeGrom not pitching in the second half of this season but when I think about what happened in August and September some of it is on this manager being oblivious about what was going on in the locker room was on this manager whether it was the squirrel raccoon whatever the hell rat incident between Jeff McNeil and Francisco Lindor he sounded clueless whether it was the thumbs down with Javi Baez and Francisco Lindor, he sounded clueless when he joined me and Craig on a weekly basis. And yeah, I gave him a beating. And do I feel bad about it? I Maybe I should have been more respectful. I tried to be respectful, but I was representing Met fans and asking tough questions. And I don't think he did well in answering those tough questions. Now, I'm man enough to tell you, I think that's a learning experience for him, that he will be a good manager someday. But that's a part of why we all fear the rookie manager. We fear the rookie manager because you're learning on the job. And Luis Rojas was forced to learn on the job. I give him an absolute pass for 2020. I don't for 2021. I don't give him a pass for the collapse going from being in first place every day till August 5th and then forget about not being in first place again. They weren't in a pennant race. They got buried. They completely, utterly fell apart. They were 9 and 19 in August. They were 11 and 16 in September. 
Do the math on that. 20 and 35 over the final few months. And I put a lot of that and his lack of awareness about what was going on in the locker room on Luis Rojas. Now next up, let's see, how many guys do I have left? I have six guys left. My bottom six or top six Met managers of my lifetime. So I'm going to give you the two guys I debated. I debated Dallas Green versus Mickey Calloway. And this may surprise a lot of people because we talk about Mickey in a very negative way. But I'm actually going to say Dallas Green was worse. Now you may ask, come on, Evan. That's not fair. Look what he had. He had such a young team. How do you blame Dallas Green? Where's your angst towards Dallas Green? Okay, a couple of things. Dallas Green spent parts of four seasons managing the New York Mets. He cleaned up the end of the 1993 season after Jeff Torberg was fired, and they were bad. Well, they lost over 100 games. but So he basically continued what Jeff Torberg was doing. They had a very surprisingly good 1994 season before the strike befelled us. They were only three games under 500, and they were clearly overachieving. And then in 1995, with slightly higher expectations, they also played reasonably well at 69 and 75. So the middle two years of Dallas were surprised. I don't want to say good because they were under 500, but I remember as a kid being like, wow, we're overachieving with all our young players. And then in 1996, we did have expectations. There was this hope that the Mets could build on the close to 95. So the close of 95 which was also an affected year by the lockout, was a very strong close. They actually finished the year 33-23 and 23 over the final two months, which is amazing for that team. And as a kid, I was all pumped up that they finished in second place. I thought it was a great accomplishment. So 1995 was a strong close, and there was hope for the future. Rico Bronia emerged. Todd Hunley was starting to put it all together. Edgardo Alfonso was emerging as a nice young player. They had made the trade for Alex Ochoa when they traded Bobby Bonilla away. We were all pumped up about him. Bill Pulsifer looked pretty good in his time at the major league level. Jason Isringhausen looked really good in the 14 starts he made. And then we were all pumped up for the emergence of Paul Wilson. So we got Izzy looking good. We got Pulse looking good. There was a lot of hope going into the 1996 season. And right from the get-go, 1996 was just an absolute disaster outside of three players. Todd Hundley broke the catching home run record. Bernard Gilkey had an amazing year. And Lance Johnson had an amazing year. But Jason Isringhausen took a major step back. Pulsifer missed the entire year because he was hurt. And Paul Wilson was bloody awful. So really what made 96 a failure was the young pitching. Now you can say, how's that Dallas's fault? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you remember 95, he was pushing Pulsifer in a way that was almost uncomfortable. For as much as we want managers to push young starting pitching, Dallas Green was almost abusing Bill Pulsifer. In his major league debut, he pitched seven innings and allowed seven runs. He threw a ton of pitches. And so you wonder if that negatively affected Pulsifer. 
And I don't think Dallas Green was the right guy with that young staff. I think he almost abused that young staff. So the reason I put Dallas ahead of Mickey is not about wins and losses. It's not even about expectations because I thought he did a pretty good job with his expectations. It was that you could look at the demise of Generation K and not blame it on Dallas Green, but at least say he contributed to it. And that's why Dallas Green was worse than Mickey Calloway. As far as Mickey Calloway is concerned, Mickey Calloway <laughs> was not as bad as maybe we remember him. <laughs> it sounds weird to say, but it's sort of true. So Mickey Calloway manages the Mets in 2018-2019. It was right after they made the decision to move on from Terry Collins, which is probably the right decision. He's a 43-year-old manager. He's a pitching coach. And similar, there are a lot of parallels with the guys that are close, similar to Dallas Green having these young guns he needed to develop, our thought with Mickey was he can help fix some of our young guns. He can help contribute to the health of Noah Syndergaard and Steven Matz and Zach Wheeler and Jacob deGrom. And that Mickey Calloway being there is really going to help this team. It's going to be a positive contributing factor. And you know what's funny? Based on results, you could argue, well, it worked. Steven Matz had his best season as a major leaguer that year. He made 30 starts and had a sub-4 ERA. Noah Syndergaard, when he pitched and he made 25 starts, was pretty good. Zach Wheeler was great. Zach Wheeler emerged in 2018, the first year of Mickey Calloway. Had a 3-3 ERA, made every start, and who could forget Jacob DeGrom? He was historically good. Problem was... They didn't win enough games. The problem was they couldn't score any runs. The problem was we got teased. Because if you recall, the Mets began the 2018 season at 11-1. and And we were giddy. I remember them sweeping the Nationals on a Sunday night. They won a game in 12 innings the same night as WrestleMania. I don't know why those two things correlate, but it was. And I was fired up. They're 11-1 and and we're feeling good. They're 12 and 2 and we're feeling good. And then after that, it was just an out and out disaster. The Mets put together, I think, the worst month I've ever seen. And we've seen some bad Mets teams. That June that year, when they went an ungodly 5 and 21, was this incredibly helpless feeling. Because even though they had blown their 11 and 1 start, I couldn't have imagined that they would give it all the way back. Because think about it, by the time we hit July 1st, the Mets were 16 games under 500 and 14 and a half games out of first place. So how much of that do I put on Mickey Calloway? A little bit. 2019 was also a weird season because the Mets were good enough to make the postseason, but they had so many games that they just out and out blew. Was it all on Mickey Calloway? Some of it was. Some of his bullpen handling handling wasn't perfect. I think Edwin Diaz contributed a huge part to that because he collapsed in the second half of the season. But this team won 86 games, which is rare. The Mets don't have a lot of seasons. Think about this. The Mets don't have a lot of seasons where they're good but just not good enough to even make the playoffs. Either we suck like 2023, fall apart like 2021, or we just flat out make the playoffs like 2015, 2016, and 2022. We do not have a lot of seasons where we're like good but not good enough. And 2019 fit the bill. They won 86 games. But the reason it didn't feel like they won 86 games is because 2019 will forever be remembered in my mind as the year of blown games. 
They blew so many games. Now, why Mickey Calloway is generally ranked lower than the way I ranked him is because we include the fact that he's a real douche. We include the fact that he's a bad guy. Look, I'm ranking managers. So if I'm ranking them based on if they're good guys, he's probably last. But I'm just factoring in. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be fair about this. What was he as a manager? And what he was as a manager was a bad year after a great start and then a year in which you won a lot of games, not enough because you blew too many down the stretch. Normally, that's not enough to lose your job. That's usually not the case. But it was in this case. And Mickey Calloway finishes now at six. So that gives me five managers. Or I should say four managers. He finishes at five. I've got the four top managers of my lifetime. And let me read off the names just so you remember. And then we'll go through it. We have Terry Collins, Jerry Manuel, Willie Randolph, and Bobby Valentine. So Manuel and Randolph, let's get to them. Because Collins and Valentine are going to finish ahead of them, in my opinion. Willie Randolph was not a bad manager. Willie Randolph did not have a losing season as a New York Met manager. Let that marinate. Like, how many guys in the history of this franchise could say that? They could say, I managed the New York Mets, and I never had a losing season. How many guys can say that? The answer is really only one other, and that's Davey Johnson, but there's a caveat to Davey. Davey had a winning season every single year until he was fired. He was fired 42 games in 1990, and he was 20-22. and So, do we count that as a losing season? Probably not. But similar to Davey Johnson, and I do think this is like a small kind of negative to Willie, and not as much to Davey because he did win a World Series, when that guy was fired, the team started playing better. When Willie Randolph was fired in 2008, and it's always remembered for when he was fired, it's always remembered for what time he was fired, I'll certainly never forget it because me, Beningo, we were out in California when Willie was fired. And yeah, the Mets should have done it a better way. But what I'll always argue is that the firing, as unfortunate as it was, worked. Because the New York Mets went on a run. And they played better baseball with Jerry Manuel as manager. With that said, playing better baseball in 2008 is not enough for Jerry Manuel to finish ahead of Willie Randolph. I'm sorry. Jerry Manuel, overall, as the manager of the New York Mets, was not good. (laughs) Let's be honest. He had a great close to 08 where they won almost 60% of their games. Let's not forget that. They were 55-38 and after Jerry Manuel took over. And there definitely was a spark to the firing of Willie and the hiring of Jerry. Was there backstabbing involved? That's what I've heard, by the way, that there was. But again, I'm reacting to wins and losses. But I had a big argument with Chris Russo at the time. Because when Willie was fired... He was against it. I was for it. So we had an all-fair discussion. Hey, you're fired, Willie. What are you doing? And I said, hey, Chris, they collapsed in 07. They were meandering in 08. Sometimes you got to try something. I'm not saying it's fair, but sometimes you got to try something. And the Mets ended up finishing strong. We know they missed the playoffs and sort of had a carbon copy of the previous year. But I remember running into Dog at Sirius because he had been gone by the time this season was over. And he said, I told you about Willie. And I said, no, I think I was right. The Mets got back into the race. They won 55 games after he took over. Like, yeah, it didn't work in terms of making the playoffs, but they were 17 games above 500. So I'll argue to this day, as unfair as it felt for Willie, 
the firing worked and that it sparked the team. Problem for Jerry is that 2009 featured high expectations and they lost 92 games. That's the problem. That's that's the big problem. They go out and they add Francisco Rodriguez. They go out and add J.J. Putz. They open up City Field. They lose 92 games. 2009, and we talked about it when we were doing our pod on most disappointing season in New York Met history. That was a part of the discussion because it was a very disappointing year in Met history. That was up there, and he's a part of it. The other thing he's a part of is the following season. What does anybody remember about 2010? Well, I'll tell you something about 2010. In 2010, on July 6th, the Mets were 10 games above 502 games out of first place. They were in a pennant race. And then, like Met teams of the past, they absolutely collapsed. They had a 9 and 17 July. They had a 12 and 16 August, a 12 and 15 September. And by the time we got to, I would say early August, you could turn out the lights. They were done. <coughs> So to go from being 10 games over or two games out of first place to completely collapsing and finishing under 500, that was it for Jerry Emanuel. So Jerry really had a good second half of 2008, a disastrous 2009, and a good half of 2010, and that was it. See you later, Jerry Emanuel.